0: On my episode today of Getting to AHA, we have Diane Majors. She is the founder and chief experience officer at Experience Catalyst. She consults with companies to support and educate them as they build or enhance their customer experience practices. Diane is known as an innovative and creative strategist with over 25 years of proven ability to identify opportunities and customer interactions. Welcome, Diane. How are you today?
1: I am great today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure having you on the show. You started your career as a clinical psychologist. What are some aha moments that led you into the world of CX?
1: Well, I, of course, being a psychologist, I was always interested in human behavior. And when I took it from psychology, I was doing some work with emotionally disturbed adolescents. So I was just taking a break um, from that. And a friend of mine approached me. He was starting a company in the basement of his house. And he was the type of person that um, had always been entrepreneurial and we worked and grew that company and he sold it several years later but we you know it was about learning everything about business and one of his guiding principles was always you know we're in we're in the business of people even though we were selling office equipment and supplies and laser printers at that point were brand new. And so I I think following his lead and understanding that what we do every day drives how people feel about what they're doing in their life and how successful and what value they get. And so my aha moment there was, this is the way businesses should be built. And so it started there, and then I just happened to get to the next uh, my next step in my career with the division of Cisco Foods. It's a big uh, food distributor here, and that CEO was the same way. He said, "There's we're we're going to do everything we can around the customer, and your job is to go out and talk with them and understand what they need, and then we'll come back and build systems, processes, services um, that they that they want." Um, So I was blessed to have two really powerful leaders who believed in this. And so my aha moment is, well, every company should be doing this. And that was about the time that customer experience was born as a discipline and a profession. So it just all came together. So that was the last aha moment of, I was in the right place at the right time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How has your background as a clinical psychologist impacted your approach to customer experience?
1: Well, what I love about it is I think that the understanding of ourselves as human beings and the behavior that results as part of our psychological makeup, our subconscious, our emotional, our rational, all the ways that we behave and make decisions every day with brands companies really have to understand that more than they ever had to before because our psych, our approach, uh, mores, our values have changed uh, quite a bit over the last few years, especially the last couple of years. And the ability for us to understand what those needs are and fulfill those needs, whether they're met or unmet, is part of where organizations are really being successful and being innovative and being disruptive. So it's come along with, I always say, it's the emotional and the functional needs that you have to meet in order to really differentiate in the market. And so I kind of bring that to bear. And I laugh sometimes that I I went back somewhere between babies three and four and got my MBA because I needed to be able to tell that business case story alongside the psychology piece. So that kind of left brain, right brain, and bringing those two things together has been powerful in my career to really help them understand everything from that emotional, emotion side, uh, but also that business value side
0: and the financial impact of great experiences. So I think you're really talking about uncovering insights that are really going to drive the growth for a business as well as the overall experience for the customer. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Absolutely. Because it requires you to have not just what's happening, but why it's happening. Um, And that's totally reliant on the behavior and the emotions that a customer is feeling. When we talk about insights, though, I often... uh, I think people are really confused. I I challenge sometimes when I'm working with a a practitioner to go around the the, uh, organization and ask people what they think an insight is. Because everybody's definition differs. And so getting real clarity on what is data, what is knowledge, what is wisdom, what's an insight is one of the things that I encourage them to do so you can define it and really know what you're after when you're trying to get to those those insights. Big word for a very confusing term.
0: So how do you define it? How do you define insights, wisdom, and some of these things you mentioned?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there's really a progression. And I think that insights are a combination of really that you talk about this as an aha interview, right? It's that moment where you've created an association between pieces of information, the interpretation of what uh, the need is and how making association between two things creates that, oh my gosh, I never thought of that before. It's that creative matrix I call it of how do you connect things that haven't been connected before? And I think it's it's a skill set We teach a lot of insight generation techniques that really help people get to that aha moment by using design thinking and just ways that you can use data. Because what we find is uh, data-rich, insights-poor right? Everybody's got a ton of data, uh, but they also say, well, what exactly should we do with this information? Um, what's the right thing to go do? What's the right problem to fix? And so I think helping organizations to build that muscle is one of the most critical things you can do to help your organization move along and structure what you're going to do with all the great information that you've gathered and also create, as we talked about, that disruption for your organization.
0: Can you give us an example or two of where you know companies were being data-driven but then you had to really uncover an insight and really help them better understand or even change the trajectory of the path they were on originally?
1: Yeah, one of the things that, I worked with a medical device company who made who made braces, the invisible braces. And one of the things that happened there is they were getting a lot of data back about, you know, issues with returns on the the braces or the orthodontists they work with that were that were giving patients the braces and looking at just the data from the orthodontists. But what was really eye opening for them as we as we looked at the data is we began to Um, give employees and some of the people that were doing this kind of mystery shopping and data analysis, we kind of had them do some mystery shopping with the orthodontist to go in and get fitted, to get their first set of braces. And what we discovered, the inside was, you know, there was really a bit of a disconnect between what it was going to be like to really be a patient versus what the orthodontist saw as being very tactical and where they were headed. And so that allowed us to begin to really think about the communications, the product development, the support that they had, because we knew more about the end user and what we really needed to do to meet their needs and communicate and educate them as much as we did the orthodontists. So that was a that was a great insight. Simply by listening and thinking about the human and the true true experience they were having.
0: So it sounds like they give you having those conversations and doing the blind shopping give you a deeper, better understanding of not only what they experience but actually how they feel and how they even kind of react to some of the the messaging. Is that what happened?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, and the everyday of it, you know, the the opportunity there was. The patient comes in and they get their they get their braces and they're they're working with the orthodontist. But there's the whole uh, process of the daily wearing of when what if I slide for two or three days? What if you know something's rubbing because your your teeth are moving at the time? And so the ability for us to understand that day to day life and really be in that in that realm of the use of the product uh, was another thing that generated a lot a lot more insights too of things that we needed you know better check ins from the orthodontist or here's things that you should be watching for. And if this happens, here's what, what you should do, right? So creating more information and support for them in their lives, not just when they came to see the orthodontist.
0: You know, based on the years of experience you had, I'm just curious, do you know why many companies don't actually seek or try to pursue the why? Are there some hurdles or inhibitors that prevent them from doing it?
1: Gosh, I think we get over-rotated on metrics. And, you know, I talked to a lot of people and they say, you know, oh, we have a net promoter, and we listen to customers. I was like, well, that's that's great, um, that's a great barometer, but do you really understand that why? And so I think for for a long time businesses have driven themselves by a scorecard, and we rarely have seen the customer be, or the employee be on that scorecard. You know, what really represents the human. Um, there rather than just, you know, operations and some of the things we talk about. So I think that balance is shifting a little bit, but the ability for organizations to get out of that habit of really watching that scorecard and having the numbers, but not really saying, so what do we do about that? You know, there's human beings behind all those numbers, human beings that are having experiences every day, creating emotion. And we know that emotion drives our behavior, right? You think about an experience you've ever had with a brand. And Because I always ask people to do that. I say, just, just think about a great or a bad experience you've had with the brand. And invariably, they tell me that it's, um, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's the emotion that I had. Here's what I'm doing differently with the brand. So I always tell people, it's, it's what we do drives emotion, which drives behavior, which impacts your business results. If you, you think about a bad experience you've had, you go online and give a bad review. You never go back to that company. You tell all your friends and family not to go. That's revenue. That's, that's impact to the, to the business. Um, so that's where I really try to bring it back to. This is an important part of understanding, and it needs to be something you're paying attention to, just like your revenue and cost, because that's what's driving it.
0: I think a lot of times, even when someone has a bad experience, they often give the company an opportunity to respond or to react to it. Isn't that correct? Yes, and what advice do you give companies, that, you know, to, to how they should handle that?
1: Yeah, I, I think you know, anytime you're, let's say, you're shopping on a website, and it's kind of a, it's not a delightful experience, right? You're shopping for something, and any friction that comes into play, or something that doesn't quite fit with what their their needs are, we find that customers are actually more loyal if you fix their if you fix their problem, and you handle it in a way that really meets their needs and gets them over that hump. It's a little bit like this bank account, if you will. Of I'm, I can have a lot of great experiences at Starbucks, right? And I go there, I go there a lot. Um, unfortunately, I do admit it. But if they make if they make a mistake, they just say, "Hey, just keep that drink. We're going to make you a new one, and here's here's a ten dollar gift card for next time." They overcome that. So my bank account with them is, I have enough great experiences. I'm willing to forgive them. That's because they have built the brand. That's because they recover from the mistakes they might make. Or even when I when I mess up and for, say, I forgot to order that in the drive-thru, right? I say, oh, you know, I was going to order that pumpkin bread for my, for my daughter. And they say, oh, no worries. They just give it to me. They don't charge me for it. Like it's it's those things that I think really make a difference. So planning for that and understanding how the human reacts to those situations and you're helping them in a moment of need is important. That's why I always say the greatest insights I've ever gotten from an organization is is going into the support and care center and listening to those people talk about what they know is broken because they're getting all those broken experiences. So the insights there are just incredible.
0: We found that if you can often address those insights or the things that they're impacted by and do it properly, that you often turn them into really loyal customers?
1: Yes. Absolutely. They're, they're more loyal. I think it was three points in the last report that I, that I made that I read about loyalty related to recovery. And we just worked with another organization where on their website, it was an okay website. They, they were doing a lot of great things, their mobile app, but where they were really falling down was where people would get password reset or something's wrong with my shopping cart. Um, they weren't rescuing and escorting those customers through the issue, right? It was just, oh, your cart failed. We don't really, can't really tell you why it is contact customer support. Well, let's redesign that, right? Why wouldn't you have chat pop up and say, here's, what's, here's what the opportunity is, or your, it was your credit card or your limit, you were over your limit. Um, and so we, we have to really think about those moments. Those moments of truth are always the positive ones right there where we need to help the customer get over
0: something that's gone wrong. You mentioned earlier that the uh, behaviors and values have really changed in the last couple of years. I assume you're speaking about related to COVID and the pandemic. Or maybe other things, can you tell us some of the changes that you've seen that you were referring to?
1: Expectations have (laughs) risen because now everybody's in the click and mortar, right? Not brick and mortar, but click and mortar. And they've seen their businesses shift because they have to respond to those needs that during COVID we expected a lot more because we wanted these, these brands to respond to our needs in, at the time. I also think there was a, um, this great, great realignment, I call it, of employees, right? That everybody says, everybody resigned. Well, it's not like they didn't go anywhere. <laughs> they either found another uh, job related to what I call YOLO, if you've heard that term, you, know, you only live once, finding a job that really was a better fit for them or going out on their own um, or retiring. There were a lot of people who realized that because the pandemic was something where they could say, you know, this is this this could happen a lot and I better make the most of my life where I am. That's what we saw. That's and and so I think the the behaviors have also changed in people, for example, not wanting to go back to work full-time in, in the office, that they like the freedom, they like the adjustment to their their work life. Uh, integration. And I think that's an important part of what we see now with organization shifting is they're they're starting to understand that the really the employee is a customer of the brand and they have to understand and treat them and
0: design their experiences the same way they do customers. So when you talk about customer experience, we're also talking about employees. What, what kind of balance are we talking about when you deal with clients and where do you try to get them to be focused on enhancing the customer experience? Do you emphasize the employee side first or the customer side or a little bit of both. How, how do you go about doing
1: that? It's really both. there's there's two things that I, that I talk about when we we talk about employee experience. One of those is the experience that the employees are having with the brand. You know, not only what it's like to be onboarded, but doing their work every day. Do they have the right tools? Are we designing are we designing their experience? Are we thinking about how much what they value and do they get the right feedback from their leader, for example? So designing that experience is one piece. And then there's the part of how we help them to understand the relationship and the experiences they're creating every day and the impact that has on the customer in their lives. right? So we've all had conversations with uh, customer service reps that you can tell they're on a script. They don't really care about the conversation. They're not asking about their day. Um, They're just following kind of what they need to do. But we're seeing this trend of now this empowerment and this engagement center, even people are changing the name of the the care and support because what they're trying to really define is understanding that that human being who's in the care team, for example, they're a person, they're a human, they want to connect. That's why they're in the role they're in, right? They want to connect with people and help them. And so putting a script on them is, is creating an, I would say, a disconnected uh, situation for them because they want to do these things, but they're not able to. And so this is why we see sometimes, I think, in organizations where people aren't in the right role or the organization is uh, suppressing their talent is that people are like, they're moving on Um, or they're showing up and they're doing that work, but they're frustrated and that comes across to the customer. I mean, we've all had those conversations too where you go, that person is not happy in their job. And that reflects on the brand and that reflects on, you know, I don't really want to have a conversation like that again. I'm going to kind of avoid that that company mm-hmm. so that the impact is internal, but it's also how it shows up for the customer and each other,
0: internal customers. So when you're trying to enhance the employee experience and interaction, how much of your time do you spend actually getting management to trust the employees and or also to train the employees? Because I have a feeling those are probably two issues you encounter, correct?
1: Huh. So when I say employee, I mean everybody. <laughs> so that is that is leadership as well. Because I think we we tend to point the finger a little bit at leadership and executives and, and managers and say it's your it's your role to bring these employees along. When in fact, you know, they're struggling with things. You think about what CEOs have been through in the last few couple of years. It's an amazing and incredible struggle for them with all the decisions they have to make and bringing the organization along. So I often talk about employees, I, I mean everybody, helping those leaders to have the right skills to be thinking about how they make decisions. Uh, To be thinking about what they need to be doing differently and how we can support them um, and help them grow in understanding these concepts. Because it's, it's not standing up and doing the maestro orchestration, right? They have to understand what everybody's doing and how they can bring all that together to create that beautiful piece of music like a conductor does. So I, I consider them to be um, a group that ab- absolutely needs their own support and their, their knowledge and their talent um, to continue to be developed as well. I just lump everybody into employee, regardless of their position.
0: <laughs> right. You've talked about the shift back to humanist. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Yes, I believe that one of the things that we have seen in through COVID and I think with even some things that are happening today with uh, the global situation is that people have realized that what they've been missing in their lives is they've gotten into everything's tech, everything's being taken care of for them. It's freeing up their time and taking care of some of the basics in their lives to be able to kind of pick their head up a little bit and say, hmm. You know what am I going to do with this extra time? What am I going? To, what value am I creating for myself and the people around me? Um, so we've we've shifted in this pendulum, I think, from this this it's all this speed and chaos and what's what's next in technology, and technology has become more of an enabler and a a support mechanism, so that people can focus on those things that are most important. In combination to, with that, I believe that. If we think about just what we, our expectations are also don't just take care of my functional needs, take care of me emotionally as well as a brand. An example of that, um, I, I challenge everybody uh, listening to this to watch commercials now. And if you think about the way commercials were in Mad Men and 10, even 10 years ago, it was all about the product and all about the features and functions. Now we're seeing you can watch a commercial and they're they're all about the emotion and what they're trying to create and that feeling they're trying to create. And you don't know till the end of the commercial who the brand even is. And oftentimes I forget who the brand is because the, the commercial is so touching and emotionally engaging. So I think we've recognized that that's really what people are desiring and the expectation they have of brands, not just to do that, but also to be sustainable and to be a part of a, a larger picture. And contributing to climate change, those expectations, especially as like my twenty-one-year-old would say, uh, she says, I, "I'm going to do business with brands that reflect my values." And so, I think that's a, a case for pause for many organizations to say, "We really need to think about what we're doing and how we're what what we what role we play, not only for our customers but just in the the world in general." That's been a wake-up call for a lot of organizations.
0: Are there three steps that you recommend? that businesses can do to you know go toward more of this humanness
1: i think it's listening closer so we talk a lot about voice of customer but what i'll I'll share with you is that whenever i see somebody doing a report on voice of customer they're really talking about measures and metrics and net promoter and effort score and satisfaction which are great indicators. They're, they're an outcome of having an experience. But what I find to be most impactful is you know, having executives actually talk to customers, uh, bringing customers in and a council and, and positioning them and asking them about something that's happening and getting that feedback and having a conversation, not just listening, not just a survey, but truly having a conversation and understanding those needs, both what they need, and also their unmet needs that they're not really talking about. So that's one. The second is, I think this this ability to be human is understanding when you're developing a product or a service that you're meeting those functional and emotional needs. Um, I see oftentimes that feature and functionality or capabilities and requirements list that we hand off to the tech team, but we're not really designing the experience and the emotional outcomes that we want. Especially through unhappy paths, meaning there you're only designing this one thing for everything's gonna work perfectly. But we need to really care for, as we talked about earlier, what happens if something goes wrong? How are we going to uh, catch that customer, care for those needs, get them over that hump, reduce the frustration and pain, and make them again more loyal to the brand, but also just being be, being a good human, right? That to understand that that empathy and the The care that you need, and I think the last thing is, um, you know, we've talked a lot about design thinking when we had our prep call, right? That design and intentionally and purposely designing something requires that you understand those that human element and that you're bringing that into the design of your products and services, Um, and I think that. That has been something that's that's really caught on. That people are saying design isn't just for a few things. Design should permeate the organization. Everybody should be thinking about starting with the human and continually designing around that and caring for that.
0: Have you found some ways to really effectively implement that? And and because you're talking about getting customer uh, relations people involved, you're talking about designers, engineers, everything kind of involved. And have you found certain techniques or ways? that work better than others to accomplish that across an organization?
1: There's lots of organizations that have done it, but what I find to be effective is, you know, everybody kind of talks about, uh, you know, design belongs to the engineering company term or the the UX team. And what we say is, you know, everybody's designing. If they're, even if they're rewriting a script for a a call center, or they're making a shift in the way a bill looks for a customer, you're designing. And so design belongs to everybody. But what we found to be really effective is sometimes when you introduce design techniques, everybody thinks it's like this magic and it it truly is in some ways. But it's also just about tools and techniques that people can use every day to continually get them to really think about it. So it's a process. And yes, it's a discipline and it's a profession, but others can contribute and use some of those tools and techniques. Um, So what we found to be helpful was we would actually teach the techniques to people who wanted to learn, kind of a grassroots approach. But we teach the technique on something that had nothing to do with the company. So the, the importance of that is sometimes when you're trying to teach uh, design or get people to use a design approach, they're so busy solving the problem that, that is related to the organization that they don't really learn the technique and the importance of it. And so we teach the technique on something like renting a car or, or it, making a trip so that they actually can learn that skill set and build that muscle and then apply it into the organization. So that's how that's how we've seen it be very successful, and and we make it we demystify it. I think demystifying design and saying everybody can design something and have have an element. We just need to build that skill and give people the tools and
0: techniques. Who in the organization then should be in a position to evaluate some of these design uh, changes, elements, and make kind of like the final decision as to which way to go?
1: Well, I think that's part of how our profession has has grown. You know, chief experience officers or whatever position that you have, there's nobody really in an organization that's responsible for the customer. You know, I always, I sometimes ask executives and not ever gotten into trouble for this, but I, I do get the blank stares of, you know, who owns the customer in your organization? You know, there'll be a pause and I'll sometimes hear, well, sales or marketing and, you know, if every, nobody really owns the customer and that experience. And so the, the reason our profession was born uh, was really to care for and what I call mortar between the bricks. Right. There's lots of things happening across the organization, but nobody's stitching it together. And so the ability for us to be that agnostic kind of Switzerland approach to. We don't really own any of those touch points, but we do own making sure how those get designed and developed are creating the experiences we want because we know that's what's going to create the business results. So that's, I think that's been one of the, the turns that we've seen in the growth of this profession is that people are beginning to realize that they need a position like that, that can embed that thinking in the organization, but also helicopter up and take a look at what's happening and pull that together and keep that humanness to your point of understanding and continual feeding um, the organization about what we're, what relationships we're building and why and what's been successful.
0: It also sounds like part of it is some businesses need to figure out what business they're really in, right? It's not just selling a product or service. It's often something even bigger than that, correct?
1: It really is. It's hard, though, to get out of that um You know, everybody's talking about the products and especially with supply chain issues. I think it's really distracted a lot of folks because they just have to get the basics right. And the supply chain issues have created a a disruption in just getting the basics done. Um, So it's been a bit of distraction. But I think those organizations that have done a good job of really thinking through what they're doing and the decisions they're making for the long term um, are going to come out on top. Um, how they're communicating with customers, giving them options, that's a sign that they are concerned about that human and they're they're making plans rather than just focusing on here, the day, how do we band-aid this situation and get past now? What do we learn from this and how can we set ourselves up better for the future where we see that?
0: Do you have an example of a company that you helped do that and how it really has, uh, impacted their their future?
1: Yeah, we talked a lot about the communication. So, one organization was having a lot of of supply chain issues because they do, they all, they import, but they also manufacture um, components. And one of the things that they were saying in their supply chain was, you know, they were slowing down their customers because these components of change were part of how they were actually servicing their customers. So, if I'm trying to build something new and I need these components to continue my supply chain um, or do innovation, it was disruptive to them. So they began to create better communications looking at the customer's timeline and the value that they were creating. So they, they truly became more of a partner than they had before because they recognized that these differences and how they approached that work as a partner, rather than just a supply chain cog in the wheel, um, was a big difference for them. So working alongside to say, well, we can't get this now, but we can get these things and, and how does that help you move along? So it's that focus on the value you're creating for that partner or the, in this is a B2B space, obviously, that you're creating and what value you're creating for them is often uh, the other focus that we see missing, uh, the humanness and the ability to create value for that customer.
0: What do you see on the horizon that you think will impact the way CX will be approached in the future?
1: My opinion only, but I believe that the ability to have a discipline of experience management. And that means the listening, that means the intentional design, that means a purposeful shift to the human. And the results you get from that will begin to be more deeply integrated into everything an organization does. So right now with experienced management uh, professionals, they're educating and bringing that along. But, but as companies continue to realize the importance of it, They'll adopt it in. And then the role for, I think, our profession will be more, you know, what's next and how do we lead? So it's been from, I would say, 10, 10, 15 years ago, I would say the words customer experience and everybody assumed I ran a care center. But I can say customer experience now. People are still a little confused about what it is. So I really shifted more to experience management as a discipline, right? It's like it's like putting in an accounting department in your company that's never had one. There are structures and frameworks and ways of working that are really helpful for an organization to move forward. So as they continue to adopt that, our role will be more leading from where's the innovation, where's the next, where's the next phase, organizational design, some of the things that are bigger that have been kind of the root cause of problems of why experiences haven't been great up till now. Uh, example of that is silos. Every organization, whenever I say, what's your number one problem? It's like, it's the silos. We don't work together. And that's a collaboration. And there's there's a maturity model for collaboration. And there's things you can do to, um, to be more collaborative. Or they'll tell me, we're not going to change management. So everybody likes the habits we're in and they're going to stay there. When in fact, change management and change leadership are part of, I think, a skill set that many organizations need. And so we're seeing this shift to more of those organizational capabilities as it relates to experience management than we had before.
0: I think this also goes back to what you said earlier to the question you ask many companies, and that is, who owns the customer, right? And if they can answer that, then obviously they must have a department that has that. But if they can't answer that, they need to really think about creating one. And then that department... Is the one that can help create these collaborations within the organization. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, because if you're trying to build something and if you're doing marketing and um, and it's not connected to operations and not connected to care, then the customer feels that we've all felt that. Where it's just does the left hand know what the right hand's doing here? <laughs> so uh, creating that is is one piece. But I also think there's a, a point that you made about ensuring that it's not just about you know who who owns the customer but it's also about having that strategy of you know who are your segments and how are you attracting the younger generation as as their needs are completely different i i laugh and i talk about that a lot my 21 year old and myself a company has to design for both of us because we're both using their products, but we interact with the company completely differently. So I think it's this next, what's next approach to and having a strategy around how are you shifting your products and services to to be there rather than right now, everybody's kind of sustaining because things are <laughs> are a little crazy and we're coming out of this strange time. But those organizations that I see that are that are very forward thinking and taking care of today, but really having people that are thinking about tomorrow and what's going to happen next, um, I think you're going to be ahead of the game when it comes to what...
0: Can you give me an example of how you and your 21-year-old interact differently with the same company? (laughs) So
1: I said to her the other day. I said I think she she had she bought a house and she was there was some service that she needed to install um, at her house. And I said, oh, all you need to do is just call blah 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 whoever. And she said, oh, mom, I'm not calling anybody. She said if I can't do it online, then I'm not going to do business with that company. Like if she couldn't text them. She's like, no, nope, that's not that's not how I want to interact with an with an organization, and so it was it was ironic too that she you know in trying to keep her paperwork together for the organization, she said, I don't have a file cabinet. Why would I ever have a file cabinet? And I said, well, there's some documents like your passport and some things that you know you need to you need to keep keep safe, and her closing papers for her house. And she's like, can't they give this to me digitally? Why am I handed this big pack of paper? That's not. That's not efficient. Why do I have to go in and sign all this stuff by hand? Right. So so her way of doing doing business and how she wanted to interact with brands is, is completely different from mine. I didn't even question it. I said, That's just the way things are done. But for her, her expectations are are much different because of the way organizations have catered to her and the way she's grown up as a digital native.
0: Right, right. In fact, I think that's funny. When I often look for new people or companies for certain things, I often do look at their digital presence and their way to interact. Uh, I don't use that as the only method, but I do look to see if they have some kind of ability to be able to interact efficiently through a digital means sometimes, Uh, like to set up appointments, things like that. It just makes it faster and easier. So I understand that, but it is interesting. I think you're correct. You know, depending on uh, your age and how you've been brought up, I think you do have different uh, perspectives on how the interaction should be and, and and who you want to interact with as well based on their digital presence.
1: Well, and back to your your question at the very beginning, what what's really changed is that our expectations. I think it was um, a woman from IBM and I I can get you the quote but she you see, essentially said that the last the last best experience you had have had sets the stage for the next experience you have. So every brand should be aware that you're not being compared just what you do, but you're being compared to what the dentist down the street is doing and your grocery store is doing to to best meet your needs. So um, we have to be aware of that too. So I often talk about that when we talk about competitive intelligence, it's like you're competing with everybody. It just, you've got to be thinking outside the box when it comes to how your experience compares to others anywhere. Absolutely.
0: I think it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Who in the world of customer experience would you love to have lunch with and why? Probably Jeff Bezos. I guess
1: it's fascinating how he grew the company, and it's always kind of that pinnacle. He says everybody needs the Amazon experience, but I want to. I I would love to understand. You know what's next as he starts to acquire. You know a lot lot more companies. You think about all the acquisitions. How do you sustain that? You get big. You've got a lot of complexity with your organization. How do you keep that um, understanding? And how do you continue to build that forward? So. That would be my, my wish. Maybe he'll watch this and he'll he'll call me up.
0: <laughs> you never know. That's right. Yeah, exactly. You never know. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Diane. appreciate it. And thank you for all your insights and sharing your experience with customer experiences. And uh, I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.